Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are in Revelation chapter 3, and we'll be in verses 14 through 22. And we'll be talking about the church at Laodicea. This will be the last of the seven churches that Jesus wrote letters to. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get right into the Word of God. Father, we're so thankful today that we live in this day and this hour of the great move of God that's coming across the not just the United States of America, but the entire world. Father, we're excited about the things of God. Lord, darkness is growing darker and darker, but Father, the light of the glorious gospel always pierces through uh, the darkness in this world. So Lord, we thank you for the light. Holy Spirit, help us today both in the ministering and in the being ministered the Word of God, and we'll give you praise and honor and glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right, uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Uh, we're going to start by just giving a brief history of the city of Laodicea. Now, it was a small city uh, by comparison to other cities of the seven churches, but this city now grew to prominence under the rule of the Roman Empire. And this city was located about 100 miles east of Ephesus, uh, six miles south of Herapolis, and that's found in Colossians 4.13, and also 11 miles west of Colossae. And these two latter cities, they could be seen from the 100-foot plateau the city of Laodicea was built upon. Uh, and it was the Syrian king Antiochus II who built the city in 250 B.C., and he named it after his wife Laodicea. And the population of this city consists of Phrygians, which uh, were the original occupiers of, of the area uh, that the city stood upon, uh, Roman colonists and Syrians and Jewish settlers who were moved to this city by Antiochus II. Now, Laodicea was a place of great wealth, of commerce, of Greek culture. It was also a place of science and literature. And there was a school of medicine there. And the city was noted for an eye salve, which was produced from the clay in that area and of spikenard, and was shipped throughout the Roman Empire. In 60 AD, the city was destroyed by an earthquake, but the wealth of the city was so great, the citizens rebuilt the city themselves without the need of financial assistance from Rome. Now, in the 11th century, the city was taken by the Seljuk Turks, then retaken by the Byzantines in 1119 A.D., and finally subjugated by the Ottomans in 1402. And among the ruins of this site where the city first lay, there's theaters, there's a gymnasium, there's an aqueduct that transported water to the city from the surrounding mountains, and there's also ruins of several churches. Now, the city of ancient uh, Laodicea has since been abandoned and is called today Eski Hisar, which means Old Castle. So let's go ahead and get right into the Word of God. Verse 13 of Revelation chapter 3. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now notice Jesus says of himself that he is the Amen. And Amen means it is so or it is truth. And John records the words of Jesus in his gospel 
where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. Notice the definite article, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's found in John 14, 6. So Jesus is the guarantee of truth because he is the truth. And if men want truth, they must look to Jesus, to his words and to his actions. And Jesus also says he is the faithful and true witness. Now, in John chapter 5, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says this, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. So being the amen, the faithful and true witness speaks to us of Christ's sovereignty and the certainty of the fulfillment of all of his sayings and promises. Now, Jesus says he is also the beginning of the creation of God. Beginning comes from the Greek word arche, And it does not imply that Jesus was the beginning of the creation of God, but rather that Christ is the first and therefore the preeminent one before all of creation. And Paul, writing to the Colossians, says of Christ, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And notice, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. So the Lord Jesus is the source of all creation. He's the head of it. He is the one to whom God has placed all judgment into his hands. And Christ will judge all things in truth as the faithful witness, because in the beginning, He created all things that are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Now, verses 15 and 16. Jesus says, I know thy works, that you are neither cold or hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. So the Lord says, I know their works. He knows everything about them. There's nothing the church has done or has failed to do that has not escaped the eyes of the Lord. The Lord gives to the church no commendation, but says to the Laodiceans, you are neither cold or hot. And the Lord wished they were one or the other. But the Laodiceans were lukewarm. Being cold is something that can be felt. Cold has an effect upon us. Neither were the Laodiceans hot. Hot also affects a change. However, the Laodiceans were lukewarm. Water that is lukewarm cannot be felt when dropped onto the skin. When a mother prepares a bottle of milk for her newborn, she would let a drop of milk drop upon her open wrist. If she didn't feel the milk on her skin, she knew the milk was ready to feed her child. So being lukewarm in our relationship with the Lord is a condition where nothing is felt. No change is affected. No feeling or stirring of the heart is made. 
A lukewarm relationship between two individuals means neither couple is motivated to progress in their relationship with one another. So to be lukewarm in the Lord means there's a great, a very great, amen, a very great lack in their fervency or passion for the things of God or for carrying out the Great Commission. The Laodiceans were indifferent towards these things. The former zeal for the Lord had been supplanted by something else. The church at Laodicea became at ease in Zion and lapsed into a lack of concern about the work of the gospel they were entrusted with to affect the population around them. And this church was not commended for anything at all by the Lord. But also they were not condemned for allowing false doctrine or sexual immorality into their midst. No mention of moral good or evil was made. It was their indifference to the things of the Lord that Christ so severely rebuked them. And because the church was lukewarm, making no impact or difference to the world around them, Jesus says, I will spew you out of my mouth or I will vomit you out of my mouth. And something so distasteful put into the mouth is spit out. And the condition of the church was so distasteful to the Lord that he threatened to do exactly that, to spit them out of his mouth. And so this is a very serious rebuke the Lord has given to this church. Now, many commentators of the book of Revelation apply these seven letters to the seven church ages from the very beginning of the church to present. And if this is true, how many churches or denominations will Christ spit out of his mouth in disgust because they no longer are affecting a godly change in the world? Now, verse 17, because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And do you not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? The Lord lists the reasons why they become lukewarm in their devotion to him. Jesus says to them, you boast about being rich, increase with goods, and you have need of nothing. But to the Lord, the Laodicean church had become, even though wealthy and prosperous, amen, that uh, they were wretched and poor and blind and naked. Other churches lived and thrived in prosperous cities, even though they were poverty-stricken because they put the Lord first above all else and everything else. And notice that this church, the Laodicean church, was not commended for their faith and patience during trial and persecution. So evidently, they weren't suffering any of these. Evidently, the wealth of this church that they were enjoying had become more important than bearing the cross. And this is the curse of extreme wealth. We become so affluent in society, we choose not to rock the boat when it comes to confronting men concerning their sin. And Christ does not fault a believer for being wealthy, but he does fault a believer for allowing his wealth to have him. Scripture teaches us how the Lord delights in the prosperity of his servants. That's found in Psalm 35, 27 and how the Lord has given to his children richly all things to enjoy. That's in 1 Timothy 6, 17. And he has promised his children that if they are willing to follow the Lord and obey him, they will eat the good of the land. That's in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. 
So the Lord is not opposed to wealth. All the silver and gold belongs to him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. And if I were hungry, I would tell, not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. That's in Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. But when wealth supplants the fervency for service to Christ and the gospel, we as believers become wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We have become destitute and have lost our purpose in this world. When we seek the friendship of the world, other than the friendship of Christ, this is what we become to him. Now, verse 18. Jesus says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich in white raiment, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear. And anoint your eyes with eyeself that you may see. So the church at Laodicea had plenty of gold, enough to rebuild the entire city after an earthquake, earthquake destroyed it. <clears throat> but Jesus possesses gold of eternal value. And what is this gold? It is the gold of that which has purchased our salvation. It is the gold of the precious blood of Jesus and the gold of his unfeigned love for us that kept him on the cross until our sin debt was paid in full. And these are the true riches. This is the goal that the Lord would have all men to receive. And the believer is the one who has been given the responsibility to tell all men about the riches of Christ so others may know. In Luke chapter 12, this passage is found. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all of my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then who shall those things be which you have provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So now Jesus exhorts the church to purchase from him white raiment, that they may be clothed so the shame of their nakedness will not appear. White raiment speaks of the righteousness of saints. That's found in Revelation 19.8. Every born-again believer will have the righteousness of God imputed to him because of his faith in Christ. And now the church, Jesus says, anoint their eyes with eyesalve so that they can see. This speaks of spiritual insight. Once a believer gets his eyes off of Christ and the word of God, the devil begins to blind him in unbelief. And many years ago, as a result of not reading the Word of God and forsaking prayer, I slipped into a backslidden state. And I didn't realize how far I had fallen backward until the Holy Spirit, about a year later, working through dedicated believers, gave me eyes to see where I had fallen. And that moment, I repented of backsliding, and the Lord healed me and set me free. Backsliding. 
allowing our fervency for the things of God to slip away can happen to individuals like me, and it can happen to entire churches and denominations. If we fail to do the first works, as the Ephesian church failed to do, we will fail in our allegiance and fealty to Christ, our Savior. Failing to keep spiritually fit and alert through prayer and staying filled with the Spirit and preaching or being a witness for Christ, the most earnest Christian can slip into deception and the lies of the devil. Now, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, the Laodiceans were not bad people, but they were deceived people, deceived by the riches that they had accumulated and were trusting in. And the Lord Jesus accused them of such pride that they were boasting, we have need of nothing. But Christ's view of them was that they were destitute of real spiritual value, that which pleases Christ. And Jesus always gives the sinner and the backslider the opportunity to repent because he loves them. But they must once again receive the truth and obey it. The key word in this verse is zealous. The church must regain its zealous attitude toward Christ and the things of Christ. A healthy church will always be a church that is zealous for the spiritual things of God. Paul, writing to Timothy, says this, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, in verse 20, Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus himself is standing outside of his own church, knocking on the door, urging his sheep to let him in? Had the Laodiceans been so long communing with Christ that he no longer is invited into them? To sup with Christ is to commune with him. To sup with Christ speaks of the Eucharist, where the saints of God enjoy a love feast around Christ, around his body and blood with other believers in the body of Christ. Evidently, the Laodiceans felt that they were so self-sufficient that they had forgotten the first principles of the law of Christ, which is to love God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love one another. And this fervent love motivates the believer to share with the world the riches of Christ. So whether a believer is cold or hot, he is affecting change, and change is what the Lord did when he came into the world, and he said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, verse 21 says, To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my Father in his throne. To all who overcome, Jesus will allow them to sit upon his throne with him. 
This speaks to us of the things which will be revealed further as we go through the book of Revelation. This also speaks to us of the coming millennial reign of Christ, where all true believers in Christ will return with the Lord to help in the government that will be upon his shoulders, helping him as his servants in the earth. And everyone who's been made a new creature in Christ Jesus and maintaining a victorious Christian life and overcoming the devil will be given the privilege to reign with Christ throughout eternity. And then finally, verse 22, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All believers must hear what the Spirit is saying unto the churches. Now, what has the church at Laodicea and what has all seven of these churches, what, what have they taught us? By all outward appearances, the Laodicean church evidently seemed to be affluent, a part of uh, the Laodicean church, I mean in society. She was boasting of her wealth and of her satisfaction of every material need. But Jesus said of her that she was wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked, meaning she was destitute of any spiritual power or influence. The spiritual condition of this church was horrendous, even though externally everything about her was going well. The Lord counseled the church to purchase from him pure gold, white raiment, and eye salve that would open her eyes to see things as they really are. It is only when the Lord opens our eyes to the truth about ourselves that we see our need then to repent and be forgiven. And the Laodicean church is, is an example of how well a church may seem to be externally, but internally, the Lord would tell a different story. So there's no shortcut to get into heaven. And there's no shortcut when it comes to being an overcomer and victorious in the fight of faith. Now, let's review what we've learned from this study of all the seven churches. In Ephesus, we learned that Jesus never wants us to divorce ourselves from love for God and for man. God loves the sinner and has died for him in the same measure that he died for you and me. In Smyrna, we learned that Jesus will allow us to go through persecution, even martyrdom, but we must prepare our hearts to remain faithful to Christ, even at the risk of losing everything, losing everything that we possess. In Pergamum, we learned to resist the spirits of compromise. In Thyatira, we learned to give no place to the spirit of apostasy and give no place to false teachers and prophets who want to teach to the people of God the doctrines of devils. In Sardis, we learned that death, both physical and spiritual, will overtake a church that joins herself to the worldly culture surrounding it. In Philadelphia, we learned that those churches which have determined to remain committed to Christ, no matter what befalls them, will be given an open door to God's rich storehouse and will be kept from the day of God's wrath, which will come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And in Laodicea, we learn that the deceitfulness of riches and the accumulation of wealth, along with the affluence that accompanies it, can bring believers and churches to the reality of God's purpose, actually can blind believers 
and churches to realities of the purpose of God's purpose in our life, which is to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That acceptable year is now for now is the day of salvation. So the letters to the seven churches are a special special message to all believers everywhere, to all churches. Every child of God must have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. And it is the Spirit of God. He is our comforter, our guide, our helper, our strengthener. He is our advocate. He is our counselor and standby. And he is the one who makes the words of Jesus become real to our heart. In the letters to the seven churches, Jesus shows us the things that are. These churches reveal to us conditions that exist in the church world today. And we should spend a lot of time giving attention to the words the Lord has spoken to each of these churches and apply them to our own life, too, as well as to our church. Each one of these churches speaks to us of things we are to do as well as things we are to guard against. And there are many churches throughout our nation that have drifted into apostasy and are no longer preaching the gospel of Christ and are no longer bringing honor and glory to God. No man knows the day or the hour that Jesus will return for us. We don't even know the times and the seasons which the Father has placed in his own power. But we do know the exhortations which Jesus has given to every believer in Mark chapter 24. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And of course, you know, in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has placed in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now at the rapture, there will be two churches in the world. There will be the church that has denied his name and is moving further and further away from the Lord. The other church will be the church that has not denied his name and is enduring under trial and is overcoming all the plots and devices and schemes of the enemy. The victorious church will be the church that goes in the rapture and it will be, you know, catched away. The Lord will come for this church and catch this bride away. And the apostate church will go into the great tribulation. And of this church, what a tragedy for her that near the end of the great tribulation, she will find herself standing in company with the Antichrist to resist the Lord Jesus when he comes to judge the alive and the dead. 
For the Lord will say to them at the judgment, Then shall you say also to them on the right hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And while this church goes into everlasting punishment, the true church, the true church will be rejoicing, entering into the perfect state to live eternity with her Savior and Lord. So there is much that we can learn uh, from these seven churches. And we must be ready. We must continue to look up and quit looking to the right and to the left, but to look up because that's where our redemption draws nigh. So I want to pray for you as we end this program. Heavenly Father, if there's those out there that are not fervent in the things of God like they used to be, but they've grown lukewarm, they're not affecting change in their community, in their church, or even into the, their family. Lord, I pray for them. Lord, open our eyes. Turn us, Father, from darkness to light. Help us to see just exactly who we are so that we can repent. And Lord, we can be forgiven. And Lord, once again, regain that which we have allowed to slip away. And Father, we'll thank you for these things. And we'll give you praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.